On this episode of Skull Rock Podcast, we remember Don Wells and we talk to Pixar's Bob Scott. Skull Rock Podcast, talking all things Disney with your hosts, L. John Go and Dave Bossert. Welcome to a new year, 2021. This new year brings a new episode of Skull Rock Podcast. Every week, we talk all things Disney and pop culture with never-before-heard stories, behind-the-scenes moments from some of your favorite Disney films, theme park attractions, performances, books, music, and much more. I am your co-host, Al John Go, musician, lifetime, lifelong Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars and pop culture fan. You can email me at aljohn, A-L-J-O-N, at skullrockpodcast.com. And I'm Dave Bossert. I'm an artist, filmmaker, author, and welcome to the Skull Rock Podcast. If you love Disney and pop culture, please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can also email us, or you can email me, at dave at skullrockpodcast.com. Al John, happy new year. Happy new year, Dave. How is your mom? Oh, my mom is doing fantastic. She Wonderful. turned 90 on New Year's Day. Wonderful. I wish I was going to be there. You know, I was supposed to fly back to New York on the 29th last week yeah. and uh, help celebrate um uh, her 90th birthday and uh, about a week or two before Christmas, I just decided, you know, things are getting so bad with this pandemic. Uh, you know, the CDC was urging people not to travel. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going to do the right thing. And I canceled the trip and uh, didn't fly back to New York. Uh, but I did uh, set up a Zoom uh, uh, meeting with uh, the whole family. Uh, and we had people in, in Houston and uh, Los Angeles and North Carolina and uh, New York, uh, the New York area, uh, all jump on. And we had a lovely um birthday celebration online with my mom awesome. and uh she's uh she's doing well well i she's hope she's a sp- spunky old lady I'm, I'm sure she is and i'm sure uh i'm hoping anyway that uh she had some real cake and not a virtual cake because uh she, she had it. she had some real cake let me tell you well from an, from an italian bakery yes. in new york yes yes Yes, I, I was going to say, because first of all, New York's got the best bakeries. Love the New York bakeries. Love the New York cheesecake. Love anything New York cake-wise. And I'm sure you just, you know, had had a, had an awesome delivery or something. Yeah, like she, she had a really, really lovely time. Uh, both my sisters were with her, and the Great. three of them went out to a, a favorite restaurant of my mother's uh, and on the south shore of Long Island. And uh, the owner, Tom, uh, just took care of them. Uh, You know, and in New York, the restaurants are at 50% capacity, or at least on Long Island, they're at 50% capacity. But uh, at Tom's restaurant, 
restaurant. He had uh, taken, uh, he created these plexiglass partitions that, that uh, you know, sort of are surrounding each of the tables that he is uh, uh, using uh, for service. That's and great. so uh, she, had a, she had a lovely time. She really enjoyed herself. So awesome. I have to say uh, 90 and still going strong. You know, she just got a new car in October. I was going to mention and, that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, she drives very well, I have to say. I mean, you know, we wouldn't let her drive if she was not a good driver. No. And, she is a good driver, you know, oh, she knows amazing. how to use the horn and the appropriate hand gestures when needed. <laughs> Isn't that the most important thing when it, when it comes to uh, getting about around town in New York? That's really, that's really what it's all about. But I was going to say, I, yeah. Yeah. I, how was your, how was your New Year's? How, how was your Christmas and New Year's? Uh, well, Christmas was great. Uh, Christmas was just basically us and, and the kids and, uh, you know, of course, we mentioned the last show for Christmas, you know, our cell service was down because we, we have AT&T, but it seems yeah. like they've gotten to the bottom of all the all that stuff here in Nashville as we try to rebuild our downtown area. Um, but New Year's, you know, pretty uneventful, just watched a little TV, uh, saw some musical performances. It was different, of course, due to everything going on in the world. Uh, typically, Music City is uh, just we have amazing fireworks, amazing performances mm. from the likes of everybody from rock pop and, and, and R and B. They always flock to Nashville to put on a and country. Show. Come and on. Country. You got to mention oh, country. Of course, country. You're talking Did Nashville. I, you're of, talking country. Of course, country. You know, how could I forget for heavens? Uh, but, but this year was really low key, but still it was, it was good. But I, I have to say, uh, Dave, a, a friend of mine, a friend of ours, uh, actually had the COVID shot, had, had the, um, Oh. had the uh, the thing done because he is a firefighter fantastic and he got it done and he said you know it's basically you give it you get a shot um and it and his arm got sore just kind of you know almost like a flu shot it's it, like the know, flu shot it's, a it's flu just shot. like the flu shot that's what people you know there's a lot of people out there saying i'm not going to get that a vaccine i'm not doing this and that baloney i i'm going to get it when it's available to me Absolutely. i'm going to get it right away just like i get the flu shot every year Yep, absolutely. You know, and and some people are are getting it, and you can see the feedback and all those things. So yeah, I mean, I think I think we're we're right around the corner from from everyone getting getting one of these shots, and hopefully we'll be at the theaters and in the park soon. I hope so. Well, and yeah. speaking of theaters, um, you know, did you did you happen to see Wonder Woman yet? Uh, yeah, actually, uh, we've got a few stories we can get into. Let's yeah, launch into well, it. We, we could yeah. talk about that, can't right. we? Absolutely. Skull Rock Podcast, this week in Disney and pop culture. I love it. So we have got what's going on. Wonder Woman, uh, you know, was released in theaters and HBO Max, you know, because we are we are basically the uh, Skull Rock Plus, right? Skull Rock Podcast Plus. Is that what you mean? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Skull Rock Plus. Yeah, Skull Rock Plus. <laughs> Uh, so HBO Max uh, been doing it, and they they basically have got a hundred and eighteen million total globally for the film. Really, nothing to sneeze at, uh, you know, when you consider how much uh, they've gotten in terms of subscribership to HBO. Um, I think, which is what uh, twenty eight point five million. 
something yeah. like that. So still, it's still a lot of catching up for them to do. But but the other thing too, when you say 118 million worldwide, I mean, just as a, a reminder to the audience, there are theaters open, not only in the US, uh, but in other parts of the world. So there is, there is some anemic uh, box office um, right now, but uh, a lot of people have watched this movie on HBO Max. I'm not going to do that. I really feel like these are kinds of the kind of movie I want to see on a big screen. I've always said that. Uh, so I'm holding out, uh, hopefully to see it on a big screen, but it, it does seem interesting to read that in the second weekend out uh, that uh, Wonder Woman 1984 has dropped sharply. Yeah. Precipitously think, yeah. at the box office. What does that say about the movie? Well, look, the reviews from the public and and look let's face it critic reviews are what they are these days you can you can either believe a critic on rotten tomatoes or you can look at the public meter which i tend to and i don't know about you dave i tend to look more at the public meter these days to see if i'm i'm personally entertained um you you may have a different thought on that um but yeah like 5.5 million over the new year's holiday which is you know very paltry but yeah, for I, a holiday weekend. Yeah, well, and also considering how much they spent on the film, two over two hundred million for this film. So yeah. they had high hopes, and we all had high hopes. The marketing machine was really on, but because it's been delayed and delayed and delayed, they a lot of that synergy was just broken apart over the course of this sure. pandemic. And I think it's just fall victim to it. I think Gal Gadot is. Uh, one amazing, you know, actress. I, I think she did great. I love the fact that they brought in some older actors in there. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone, but it's, and it's really great. And of course the star of the Mandalorian, um, you know, is in the film as well. And I'm, I, the name, I just totally had a brain fart on the name, but, uh, <laughs> but, but at any rate, but you know something cool. though, I, I, I do have to say uh, they, they are fast tracking wonder woman three. So how how do you think that's going to work out? Because as they fast track Patty Jenkins uh, with Wonder Woman three, they have the Snyder cut of the Justice League that's coming out soon on HBO Max here within a, a couple months. How is that going to work out when she is already promoted and signed to do the Rogue the Rogue Squad, Squadron film for for Lucasfilm and Disney in the coming years because I don't I, honestly, I don't know. I, they're, they're going to make it work. Uh, I guess, I don't know, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it, it is, um, you know, again, I'm, I'm just hoping that, uh, the theaters get, get open soon. Uh, I, actually what I'm really hoping is that they straighten out the chaos with getting the vaccine distributed. That's right. And, and once enough people have been uh, vaccinated, things are going to start to reopen again. Uh, and I really am looking forward to going back to seeing these types of films in the movie theater. Well, speaking of Star Wars and Patty Jenkins doing her, uh, which, by the way, was an awesome teaser trailer at the Disney Investors Call. That was um, that was great. I love Patty Jenkins. I thought she did great on Wonder Woman. I can't wait to see this new Wonder Woman film. But because of Star Wars, a little controversy has been stirred up. Uh, reporting on Variety, and I follow this because of the Star Wars community that I'm in in terms of you know podcasters, etc. But 
On December 17th, a popular Star Wars YouTuber joined roughly 30,000 fans as he live-streamed his reaction to the Season 2 finale of The Mandalorian. This this is Star Wars Theory. Um, and uh, great fan channel. And he started crying visually. And I saw this along with him because I couldn't help right. it. It was on delay. And he timestamped it, and I made sure to check it out. And he was visibly just overwhelmed with when seeing Luke Skywalker emerge in, on the screen. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. That's what happens on the Mandalorian. It's a little late for the spoiler alert. I know, alert. I know, you right? As, as, you, as you live, yeah, as, you, as you've been living under a rock, if you haven't seen it. So he started, you know, people, it went viral. It went viral. His He's already the number one YouTuber of Star Wars fans out there. And uh-huh. then for it to go viral... The whole world, you know, watched and even Mark Hamill had had watched it and other people in Lucasfilm. And then you had um, Pablo Hidalgo, who uh, I own several of his books um, because he writes for the Lucasfilm Story Group. And he writes the encyclopedias and different things like that and makes sure that the canon throughout Star Wars is, uh, you know, very kept in orderly fashion. Uh, the planets right. and everything are are, are are represented properly and there's nothing that contradicts any. Thing that has been published he had published a tweet saying um saying that emotions are not meant to be shared and uh in, in apparently there was a thread of people that were bashing star wars theory this gentleman uh, who posted it and many people shared their emotions on that and then after 20 hours later he apologized after star wars theory had said hey by the way um is this really you? Why would you say something like this? And gave him six hours um, to kind of like say what what's going on here. And Pablo Hidalgo apparently had made a post saying he wishes to clarify that his post on emotions that aren't meant to be shared was sarcastic self-mockery and was certainly not intended to be hurtful to anyone. I'm deeply sorry that it was. As a lifelong fan, I appreciate fans expressing how they feel. It's what being a fan, it's what being a fan is all about. And this was 20 hours later. And wow. so, um, that, that, you know, it's kind of sad, you know, I, I, I personally, you know, look, it's a free country. People can say what they want to, but you know, to, to mock somebody because they got emotional over something, you know, that's what, that's what film and television shows and really good content does Al John. It evokes emotion within us. And if, and if it's done well, you know, it's something that touches us emotionally, touches our heart. And, and if somebody wants to cry, I mean, more power to them. There's nothing wrong with that. And why would you mock something like that? I, I just, it's beyond me. And, and if this guy is making his livelihood off of fans. Star Wars and Lucasfilm and he's mocking the fans, that, that's just not the right thing. <laughs> I don't, you know, that's just not the right message that Lucasfilm should be sending out to people who are patronizing uh, uh, their, their films, their, their products, their, their books, their, their toys and, you know, merch and all of that kind of stuff, you yeah. know, it's We're, just, yeah. it's We're, sad. It's, it's, it's a it sad, is sad time. It is sad, you know, and for Christmas, I've received some Star Wars books from my in-laws 
And I look forward to seeing those books. I have a collection of Disney, Marvel, and Star Wars books I get every year that I read and I enjoy and I cherish. And then to see him, his name pop up, it just kind of, it kind of breaks my heart because we're all part of this together. And during this pandemic, we can't see things in the theater together. How do you experience that emotion? And I have to say, I loved watching the reaction videos to, to Luke Skywalker appearing in the Mandalorian. And I live vicariously through all those people because they experience the same joy I feel in my heart when I saw that. And yeah. it's just really sad. Just like when Avengers Endgame happened and I saw, you know, everybody just erupted when they saw Captain America hold Thor's hammer when and then all the Avengers started appearing out of the portal. That's the kind of excitement that we, sure. we want to return to as theater goers. So yeah. yeah, it is it is a sad state, but well, yes. you, you have to question the guy's sincerity when he's writing stuff for uh, about Star Wars now, I you do. know, be, because, you know, to 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 do that to to a person publicly like that, it's shameful. It really is. It is. It um, is. But you know what? Yeah, we got one more thing, though. We got one more yes. thing. A couple things, uh, really. How about the age old question? Is it Ginger or Marianne? Ginger or Marianne. You'd marry Marianne. You'd date Ginger. You'd have to buy her a martini and take her out to dinner. Marianne would raise your children and help you in the farm. <laughs> so uh, I know, right? That was Don Wells, legendary Don Wells. And I have to say, I was such a huge fan of Gilligan's Island growing up watching it. In I was too. And I, I absolutely too. loved the specials. And uh, Don Wells, unfortunately, um, she you know, finally succumbed to uh, COVID-19 at the age of 82. Um, it, was, so. it was shocking to see that she was 82. I mean, she had a wonderful life, but but you you have this picture of Dawn Wells as that Kansas farm girl uh, in your head. You hear Dawn Wells and, you know, she she's frozen in time from the Gilligan's Island TV show. Yeah. I, I mean, really, and just for her to pass away from COVID-19, it's just so sad. It is. It is. It really is. And, you know, of course, everyone in entertainment, their heart uh, uh, showed their support out there on social media for her. And once again, she was, I think, I think as a kid growing up, you often wonder, Ginger or Marianne? And I was always in the Marianne camp. I always, I always loved the girl next door, married the girl next door. So I can tell you <laughs> that uh, I'm a big fan of Don Wells. Rest in peace, Don Wells. Uh, and yes. the last thing I should say, too, because you're a fan of The Deadliest Catch, are you not? I, I have been watching it for years. I love The Deadliest Catch. And it was really sad to uh, see that Nick uh, McLashen, yeah, uh, had died, and he he was the the deck boss on the Summer Bay with uh, Wild Bill uh, at the helm, and uh, Nick had struggled uh, with alcohol and drug addiction over the years, and it, it was it was talked about within the program. Um, in fact, uh, Wild Bill had to throw Nick off the boat uh, at one point. Uh, not into the sea, of course, but, uh, right. but you know, they, they didn't leave, uh, the dock, uh, they, he, he had to toss Nick onto, onto the dock and, uh, he passed away. He was only 33 years so old. Young. What a shame. Yeah. So young. And he lived in Nashville as well. So he was, he was right around the corner for me. And by the way, Don Wells also lived in Nashville for a time. So wow. both, both of them, the, the Nashville connection is there. So please rest in peace, everyone. I know that, you know, these people, you know, they grace our, our TV screens every week or our movie screens every week, but it, it's nice that we can remember them. 
Absolutely. And you know what? Let's uh, turn to a happier uh, note. Uh, we have a fantastic uh, guest today. Uh, his name is Bob Scott, Pixar animator, storyboard artist. He's worked at Disney. He's uh, worked with Jim Davis on the Garfield comic strips and, and television specials. Uh, and he has his own comic strip. So we should jump to this interview because I'm excited to talk about um, Bob's uh, comic strip. All right, let's do it. Skull Rock Podcast. Interview time. Al John, we've got a wonderful guest today. His name is Robert Scott, also known as Bob Scott. And uh, he's not only an animator who's been in the industry for decades, uh, working on some incredible films like The Incredibles up at Pixar, uh, Monsters, Inc. Uh, he's also worked uh, closely with Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield, the comic strip, as well as some of the Garfield animated specials. And so it's really, I think, a, a wonderful pleasure to have Bob Scott with us today. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I, it's, uh, your podcast is great. Um, thank you. Oh, thanks. Thank you very much for that. We're, we're trying. We're trying. And, and really what makes the podcast, I think, uh, really uh, fun and, and great, as you said, uh, is that we have fantastic guests like yourself on. And, oh, uh, and what I think is so interesting about your career is that you uh, started out uh, in animation, but you'd always had this affinity to do comic strips. And uh, yeah. Uh, and, and I really want you to tell our audience, if you would, um, uh, how you got started. What were you doing, you know, in your childhood? And how did you get into the comic strips and then get into animation? Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was probably, probably similar to a lot of people in animation that uh, when I was a kid, I just liked anything with cartoons, whether they moved or they were in a comic strip or the Sunday papers um, just seeing cartoony drawings uh, were just, there was such an appeal to that sort of thing. I remember being pretty young and uh, I think it was, the, it had to be the very tail end of Pogo being in the paper. I mean, it would be, it had to be like after Walt Kelly had passed away and then his wife took it over and seeing those drawings, I remember thinking they had this quality of life to them. So I, I love that there was a comic strip that kind of looked like the animation I, I liked too. There was, you know, so much life and animation and appeal to like Disney drawings. And like, these kind of look like Disney type drawings come to find out years later that Walt Kelly worked for Disney was an animator on Dumbo and a few other things. And then went into comic strips. Um, but yeah, I, I just uh, loved that stuff. And I had a mom and dad that were really encouraging. My mom, I remember when I was a, a young kid, I was watching an underdog cartoon and I asked my mom, how do they make those drawings move? Uh, and she said, she tried to explain it to me. She somehow knew a little bit about it and I didn't quite understand. She said, well, tomorrow I'll, I'll, we'll talk about it. I'll, I'll go to the grocery store and I'll get something. She came back from the grocery store the next day with um, like a pad of paper and showed me with little stick figures, you know, you draw a character you know, a stick figure here, and then you move it a little bit here. And I just thought that was the neatest thing. Once you flipped it, that this drawing came to life. Uh, and so that kind of started me on just wanting to 
know more about that. And, and, and I was very, very young at that point. Like I would have been in probably first grade when. Oh, wow. Memory. Were, were there any books that you came across or did you look for any books on animation? Yeah. Once I got uh, old enough to understand the library and go to the library, I mean, I checked out every book on animation and cartooning I could find. Uh, there was a cartooning book when I was really young by uh, a cartoonist named Sid Hoff. Mm-hmm. He's famous for a lot of children's books. And that was a great book. It's, it's long out of print. I haven't seen it in years, but he actually taught you how to draw a character from beginning to end and his very simple dot-eyed style. And I remember kind of copying that and trying to draw it the way he drew it, you know, the different steps to do a face or a head or a whatever. So yeah, the library, we didn't have a lot of money. So it wasn't like back then you bought a lot of books. It was, it was really the library that my mom was a school teacher too. So, um, she was, uh, well, she was actually, when I was really young studying to be a school teacher at night, my dad was working during the day and she would go to college at night. This was in Michigan. And sometimes she would bring one of us along, my brother or I, and I would sit in the library while she was in her class and just kind of bore through books and, you know, whatever cartooning animation book there was, that was the section I, I went to. And then later on discovering the Preston Blair book. I think, I think all of us had that Preston Blair book. That was the oversized uh, paperback. uh, um, Yes. uh, How to animate book by Preston Blair, brother of Lee uh, Blair and brother-in-law of Mary Blair. Yeah. I found that out years later that, yeah, 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 definitely. Very talented Uh, family there. Oh my gosh. Yes. Very talented. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. There was another book that I, I remember distinctly too. It was, uh, a Charles Schultz book written by Lee Mendelssohn about, uh, it was like whatever anniversary it was in the seventies for, for peanuts. I have maybe 25 years or something. I can't remember, but there was a book that went through how he did a strip it, the whole history of peanuts. And there was one chapter on animation. They showed um, them recording the kids doing the voices for one of the specials. They showed a cell painter, the desk of the animator. And then later on was how he did a strip they showed him in a studio, penciling, inking. So the both things were always kind of, you know, I liked them both. I was kind of back and forth doing, trying to do my own comic strips, trying to animate. Well, uh, and you were doing, you were doing comic strips when you were in high school, weren't you? I was. Yeah. Yeah. I was sending things out submissions. I, high school is probably the first time I sent anything out to a syndicate. And of wow. course you get the rejection letter, usually a form letter. Um, but uh, I just, I, I, I was, by that time I was reading Doonesbury. That was the one that really, when I got to high school, I discovered Doonesbury and I just loved his writing that the characters talked like real people. It wasn't just a joke, you know, yeah. and of course Bloom County kind of took that and started out very much like Doonesbury, but then became its own world and its own thing with Opus and all of that. Did, um, let me ask you, when, when you were sending those strips in to uh, the syndicates, yeah. uh, first, can you explain a syndicate to our audience? And then secondly, the letter, was it, was, did it give you any feedback? Did it, did it tell you you need to improve here or there or this is what we're looking for? So, but tell us what a syndicate is. Yeah, so a syndicate, and they do still exist as there are still newspapers out there, but a syndicate would be... Um, place you would send your strips to and the syndicate would take that comic strip if they decided to take it on 
and distribute it and sell it to different newspapers across the country, actually across the world. Uh, so for instance, Peanuts at the time, I think it was like 2,700 papers, which is sort of the saturation point because you can't be in two papers in the same town. You know, a competing paper will have their strips and then the other um, paper would have their strips. So getting syndicated was kind of the brass ring. Like if you could get that, your strip could get out there and hopefully get readers and gain a following. And you could, you know, back then, uh, hopefully make a living at it. That was the dream is, you know, mm. to do that, work from home, do your own thing, mail it out, and it, it gets distributed everywhere. Now, the letters I would get back then, I don't remember till a little bit later. I think they were pretty much form letters in high school. Mm, okay. By the time I got to college, I was getting better and learning a lot more at CalArts. And um, then I started, once in a while, I would get a letter that was actually uh, a little bit of constructive criticism. And it was it was usually the writing uh, that they would point out that I needed to work on. Mm-hmm. And um, so I always tried to get better at that. And that was, that was kind of the, the main thing. Then there were years I got so many rejection letters, kind of got a little close with a few things, didn't really go anywhere. And I just kind of left it behind for a while and just focused on animation because it wasn't, it's, you know, this is pre-internet. So you really couldn't, do much with your strip unless you got syndicated. You know? Right, right. So um, now getting it out there, you you don't need a syndicate. So you can you can do it and get that fulfillment of actually drawing a comic strip. Um, which yeah, can you t- can you talk a little bit about like sort of how, how has how has the industry for comic strips changed uh, in your lifetime? Uh, you know, from the fact that you know back in the seventies and eighties, there you know you could be like peanuts and have it in two thousand newspapers around the world. Right. But but you know, in the last twenty years or so, twenty five years, newspapers have been folding up there there's less in the way of readership of newspapers the the whole sort of newspaper world as we once knew it has shifted uh because of digital how how has that affected uh the comic strips i think it's been actually good in a lot of ways because more is out there now and more people can get their stuff out there i mean somebody can put their stuff on instagram or one of the a websites that host web comics and you can gain a kind of a following, uh, which is, which is great being able to get it out there. I'd say monetarily though, for me, I don't make much on the strip at all. Very, very little. It's more a labor of love. Um, but there are some people that have, you know, been able to parlay that into, they use Patreon and they use ways to make, make a living. They're savvy with the web and, and social media and, and that sort of thing. Um, but that's the main change is that you're not beholden to the newspaper or the syndicate. You can get your stuff out there. A kid can start a blog and put his comic strip out there and get feedback or find out, you know, meet other cartoonists. You know, that was something, I mean, to meet a cartoonist or, or actually write a cartoonist and get a letter back, you know, that was a big deal. Now, you know, I'm, I'm sure kids have more access to meeting these people. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of, 
wandering off another. Yeah, topic. but no, that's okay because you you know how did how did you? It, it, it's a natural question then for me is how did you meet Jim Davis, the creator of Garfield, uh, the comic strip? Uh, how did how did you connect with him? That was uh, so I was still going to Cal Arts. It was my last year, but I was doing my classes at night or working on my film at night. And during the day I was working for Marvel productions in Van Nuys on uh, Muppet babies doing uh, turnarounds and character design stuff there. And my good friend, Brett Koth, who you, you may know Brett Koth. He went to Cal arts. Yeah. I, 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 do, I believe I do know him. I haven't seen him in years, Yeah, but, yeah. but was he, was he a cleanup artist at Disney for a while? He was. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, just like impeccable, you know? Brett's yeah. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely do remember him. Um, but there, there was, you said a couple of things here, aside from Brett Koth, you also <laughs> mentioned Marvel, which, Oh, Always gets Al John's ears uh, perked uh, up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Working at Marvel, Stan Lee was actually there when I was there. He had an office, mm-hmm. uh, and I was sharing a room with a f- artist there, a uh, friend of mine, Tony Fucilli. And and next door was oh, I know Tony. Yeah, Tony's great. He's a great animator. Tony Fucilli. Yeah, he was a fabulous <laughs> animator. Great guy. We've been great friends for years. And next door was Stan Lee. Uh, and you'd hear him, you know, talking to his secretary or something about something. He wasn't in every day, but you'd see him once in a while in the hallways. And this is well before, by the way, Disney purchased oh, Marvel. Yeah. This, this yeah. was this was really back when Marvel was still doing Marvel comic books. Exactly. This yeah. was 1985. I think Marvel was an offshoot of the Patty Freeling. I think they bought the Patty Freeling and they became Marvel Animation. They wanted to do their own characters, but they ended up doing other characters as well. Uh, My Little Pony, I think, and a few different things. Yeah, My Little Pony, definitely. Um, So anyways, Brett Koth and I were both working there. And somebody came through who had heard that Jim Davis was looking for an assistant on a new comic strip he had called U.S. Acres, which had just launched, brand new, and uh, was looking for somebody to, to pencil that. So both Brett and I, we're great friends. We loved comic strips. That was kind of our goal. Like he was sending stuff to syndicates. I met him at CalArts. I was sending stuff. We'd look at each other's stuff, get inspired. And, and just, he was like the first guy I met in animation that loved comic strips as much as me and knew everything about every comic strip. So we both, uh, we jumped to the chance. No one else was really interested, you know, and we were interested like, wow, to be an assistant for a cartoonist. And I loved the Garfield strip. I thought, I, I think the gags are, are great, especially the early ones. I, I just love the way Jim drew the character and everything. So we then uh, got in contact. We had to send our portfolios, fax them at film Roman film film Roman was Phil Roman's studio and he was doing the Garfield special. So he was kind of the liaison between Jim and, and anyone in the animation industry was interested. So it turned out Brett and I were the only two that applied uh, I don't know if the word got around very far or, or whatever, but we were lucky to know about this. So we sent her stuff and both Brett and I got separate calls from Jim himself. He called on the phone. I came home from work one night, phone rang. Hey, this is Jim Davis. And like, I was blown away. Like I'm speaking to Jim Davis. This is amazing. <laughs> and he said, I love your stuff. I like your stuff. I'd like to fly you out and uh, interview you to Muncie, Indiana, which is his studio, Pause Incorporated. 
He's got, uh, well, it's been sold now to Nickelodeon, but that time it was his studio. It was a house in the country that was turned into a, a, a studio and they built like a section onto it and had a little bullpen of artists doing the licensing artwork. And this artist named Gary Barker was drawing both U.S. Acres and Garfield, penciling it every day, which is an enormous amount of work, even though he's not inking and writing. It's just a lot of sure. scripts to, to draw. Uh, and he, I heard him in the background, hurry up. <laughs> you know, <he's, laughs> yeah, Gary's working day and night. And so he flew, he flew myself, Brett got the same call. He flew both of us out. He flew out uh, Brett's wife, uh, Mona Koth, who's also an artist, and my wife, uh, fiance at the time, Vicky. And we flew out there for an interview together, not thinking, you know, he's only looking for one person. We just thought, well, we'll see what happens. It could be you, it could be me. Maybe it won't be either of us. Mm. But we spent at least a day there, I think. They put us up in a hotel there. So we got to see the studio, you know, show us around Muncie, which there's not a lot to see. It's pretty, pretty quick tour. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's, it's north of, uh, of Indianapolis. I believe it's north. And so it's a it's small rural mm. area, which is where Jim grew up. Supermarket, a bank, and a post office. Yeah, there was a tire store in the mall. It's weird. I grew up in Michigan, uh, Detroit suburbs. I'd never seen a tire store in a mall, which is kind of funny. But he was really nice. And at the very end of of the whole interview, um, he went off to talk to people about it, or you know, the his financial guy or whatever came back and he said, "We're going to hire both of you." And we were just over the moon. So we, he said, yeah, I want you both to co-pencil the, the strip, blue line the strip. And, uh, and, and there was a guy who was inking it. He was going to continue inking it. So they wanted us to start, I think, whenever we, we could. So I can't remember how. Did you move to Muncie? Yeah, we moved, yeah. To, we moved to Muncie. We left, which is funny. I studied animation and the right away. I, I leave and go to Muncie to work to work for for a, a syndicated cartoonist with no animation, um, but yeah, he moved us there and God bless my wife. She she took the leap of faith too. I mean, here she just graduated, mm. and uh, she said, "Let's do this. Let's see what see what happens." Fortunately, after a few months, Jim recognized her talent. You know, she was trying. She was doing a little freelance for a little animation company called Four Star there in Indiana. Uh-huh. We did a couple of little commercials together. So she didn't really have a full-time job, but Jim recognized her talent, hired her. She started inking the strip for a little while, U.S. Acres, and then she quickly moved into licensing art and did tons of Garfield licensing art. So we're in this little bullpen together. There's Gary Barker, the guy's drawing Garfield. Uh, it was a little split-level house. Vicky's next to me, Brett's to, to my left. And it was a really fun ex- experience. And the great thing about it is Jim, Gary Barker had designed all the characters and Jim let us slowly, if you look at the, the very first strips and look at the later ones, they got more cartoony and animated and Jim really liked what we were doing and we got to put a little more of our style. They changed uh, a lot. And then Brett started writing the strip with Jim and they would, they would co- kind of co-write together. And then uh, I, left the strip because Jim wanted to do some animation there, some of the Garfield stuff there. So I was really torn. Like I really, I, I'm missing animating. I want to animate. So he gave the strip to Brett full time and Brett actually got to sign the strip near the last six months or whatever. So it was wow. with Jim and, 
and Brett, and he did a great job with it. If anyone looks at the later ones, uh, especially, I mean, it was all Gary's stuff was good as well, but it had that Brett style, which is, he's so funny with his drawings and everything. Um, so yeah, that's, that's the basic story of how. And, and, and so you, you went into the animation side of, of, uh, uh, of the Garfield productions, uh, yes. uh at, with Jim Davis and you did some specials with Garfield. Yeah. So what happened there is that Jim got really enamored with, he saw some of the CalArts student films. He saw, you know, he had seen, seen mine and Dickie's and, and Brett's, which he thought was just fascinating to see pencil tests. Like, wow, these kids who were practically kids then animated this stuff. Like, this is amazing. And then there was a tape of the entire year of one of the student shows. You know, they, they used to put them on tape ahead of each VHS and we showed Jim some of the, the ones and he just thought, well, we've got, people that can animate here. Why don't we do a little bit of the animation for the next special here in Muncie? And so he hired a few other people, Ralph Eggleston, Doug Frankel, Wendell mm-hmm. Luby. Uh, they moved out for a short spell. And then I moved into animation. Vicky stayed in licensing. And, and then Brett actually eventually, yeah, he was, he was gone. He moved back to California. He was drawing the strip from, from California. He, he moved back. So uh, why, why did he move back? Did he just want to be back in Southern California? Did he? I think, I think uh, his wife wanted to be back there. I think Mona wanted to be in California. They just decided, yeah, I think he wanted to be back there too. They both wanted to kind of go back. They missed California. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, they went, they tough, went back. tough winters in, in Muncie, huh? Yeah, it's different. Although it's funny, uh, Brett lives in Virginia now. So <laughs> wow, <laughs> <laughs> he's lived there for years. He has a comic strip too that's actually syndicated in the paper, Diamond Lil, which is really funny. Uh, he does that that's a full awesome. time. In addition to still, he still works for Jim, and he's still an assistant and helps write on the strip and everything. So is is Jim still doing the Garfield strip? Uh, or yes, that is. He sold the the rights, but that's the one thing he's still. Doing, still doing. Yeah. He doesn't have the uh, the day to day, you know, dealing with licensees and all of that stuff. He's so just, that's what. So he he sold the business off, but he retained the strip. Uh, they Nickelodeon, from what I understand, Nickelodeon owns the character and the strip, and Jim is uh, doing it for them. Oh, so I see. Okay, something like uh, that. And I don't know yeah. all the details, but that <laughs> I, I guess he's really happy. You know, he's kind of like not retired, but semi-retired in the sense sure. that just focused on the strip now. And he has his team of people that he's worked with for years and they're, mm. it's, they're chugging along and they're still, still making it. And it's still in a lot of papers apparently. So, yeah. so when did, when did you leave Muncie and come back to Los Angeles? Did you just sort of leave Jim Davis and come back and start to do animation here? Yeah, we were there for about two years and I missed animating after getting a taste of it again, working on the Garfield stuff. There was a special called Garfield, His Nine Lives. And that's the special that we got to work on. And what was neat about that is that there was a book that Jim did with his staff called Garfield, His Nine Lives. The special was an hour long special. Each life, each of the nine lives was going to be animated in a completely different style. So it was perfect for something that could be done, you know, part of in Muncie because it didn't have to match anything film Roman was doing. Mm-hmm. So I think there were three or four of the lives that we got to do. And there's one that I got to design and direct and did my own style. It was called court musician. Jim wrote it. I mean, all the, all the voice work and music was, was done with film Roman. 
we got the soundtrack, but we got to actually animate the whole thing there. Wendell Luby painted the backgrounds. Wendell's an amazing designer, color person, you know, just art director. And he, he did all of that. And then we animated it, it was myself, Doug Frankel and Ralph Eggleston did, did that one. And we all did the other ones together. So it was fun. We got to do different styles. And then Roger Rabbit came out, the, the Roger Rabbit movie. And we were just so excited about that because here's like cartoony animation again, like really, you know, it wasn't Muppet Babies. It was like old fashioned. It was, it was sort of golden age, you know, uh, yeah. uh, of animation. And I just, you know, I talked to friends back in LA and all the fun they were having on the, the stuff they were working on. And I hear I would just gotten to do more animation with Jim and I got this opportunity to work on tummy trouble, which I, understand you worked on too. I worked, I worked on that as well. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I flew out to when we just decided, we decided to move back and Jim, Jim was great about it. He was, you know, the strip was Brett was finishing it up. I think, I think it had, yeah, I think it was done at that point. They just, they decided to end, end the strip. Uh, it wasn't in as many papers as it had started the U.S. Acres. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I went, went back, worked on that and uh, was fully back into to animating. But then of course on the side, you know, doing my own strip and still, still had that. And, and, and I was going to ask you, so you were still yeah. working on your own artwork, which, which I have to say, I'm, I really admire that, you know, Al John, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, as an artist, uh, when I started working at Disney, I, I had done a lot of dimensional, you know, sculpture work and stuff like that. And that kind of took a back seat and, and actually I hadn't done it for a number of years in yeah. the 1990s when we were in the thick of doing all of these movies at Disney. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, I've, I've picked it back up, but I really admire people who actually can, you know, put in a 50, 60 hour week on animation, you know, working on a movie uh, and then still find some creative juice left, um, you know, yeah. to work on something like your comic strip. So how did, how did your bear and me comic strip really start to come together for you? That one came, so there was a long period where I did stop working on my own stuff. I just focused on animating. I got enough rejection letters. I was kind of frustrated, you know, just thought, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. And um, just, just kind of needed a break from it. Uh, so my, uh, once my kids were born, uh, my daughter kind of became an inspiration for Molly, different name and everything, but just when she, got a little older. There's just a sweetness about her and a, um, a sort of a caretaker quality that she had that was really um, great. And and uh, I was always drawing bears for some reason. I just like cartoon bears, Yogi Bear, Baloo the Bear, you know. Sure. So I would always just draw a little, car just various cartoon bear characters. And one day I was sketching and I was drawing a little girl to kind of look similar to her. And the bear on the page was very scared looking. And the girl looked calm and confident. And there was just a combination there that seemed kind of fun. And then I decided, well, I'm going to kind of pick it up again. I wanted to, wanted to do some newer strips. Um, it's a nice contrast, by the way, you know, oh, between this large bear and this, this sweet little girl. Yeah, yeah. I think with comedy, it's like, as you know, it's like contrasts are always, yeah. always, always great to play for comedy. So I started sending that 
around after I did, usually you would do like a couple weeks worth of strips to send around um, to different syndicates. And I, LA Times syndicate, I actually got a phone call. I was working for Daryl Van Sitters at the time, working uh, at their Warner Brothers unit. We worked on a short called Box Office Bunny. And mm -hmm. I loved working, I love working with Daryl and love Renegade him. Productions, Daryl Van Sitters uh, yeah. uh, production company. Yeah. 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 I've worked on his Tom and Jerry show a bit too. Um, but, uh, so I got a phone call and the guy at LA Times Syndicate, which I don't think there's an LA Times Syndicate that does, um, comics anymore. They had a few strips. He liked my stuff. He thought it was funny and like, like the characters and he wanted to see more. Usually that's the next step. They want to see more to see if you can continue with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but he said, I think though, I think it should be a dog, not a bear. Cause kids <laughs> there, you know, kids are going to relate to a dog more. And I thought, dog. I, I like it being a bear. I felt that was what was mm -hmm. fun about it. So I, I gave it a try and I called it Molly and the dog. I, I did a whole new submission. He said, you don't have to do them finished ink strips. I know you can draw. I you know, I just want to see your writing. So I did them the way we did when I was working for Jim, little Xerox out four panel blank panels. And I just write new strips and, and thumbnail them out as a dog. And I sent it back to him thinking, well, maybe I'm getting close. Maybe this is, this is it. And, uh, he said, you know, seeing it with a dog, I think you're right. I think it's better as a bear, but I think we're going to pass anyway. So I went through that hoop of doing the, oh. <laughs> for whatever reason, I can't remember what his reasoning was at the time, but I'd say that's the closest I got to a newspaper syndication. Uh, there was one guy that was, was great. Jay Kennedy was the editor for King Feature Syndicate for a long time. Which really was the, the pinnacle, wasn't it? I mean, yes. King, if yeah. you got into King Features, I mean, they, they had all the great um, uh, comic strips, didn't they? Yeah, all the classic comic strips that you think of, Blondie and Dagwood. Wizard of uh, Id? Wasn't was it Wizard uh, of Id? Id uh, I'm not sure if that one was them or not, but they yeah. have, they have st stuff now that they didn't have in the past, like Dennis the Menace and, sure. you know, um, yeah, Popeye and all that stuff. Yeah. So that was exciting. He actually wrote, it was a forum letter, but he actually wrote, there was a strip I did about these two alien characters that I'd sent. And he wrote in the corner, a little critique. And that was nice. It was like, wow, he actually hand wrote this critique. Come to find out he did that for a lot of people that he thought had potential. He was just this really nice guy and very encouraging and yeah. you know, say send more stuff. And that strip never went anywhere, but, um, but that was, that was kind of nice. But other than that, this was with LA times was the closest. I, yeah. So I how did, so, so you're working in animation and yeah. you're still working on this Baron me comic strip, uh, you know, on, on your own time. Yeah. Um, you know, where, what was the next sort of jump for you on, on that strip? How, how did you get it out there and start building a fan base? Well, I finally realized, you know, that people were putting their stuff on the internet, which I had never done. People had blogs and people were showing their artwork. And this would have been around 1999, 2000. No, it was, no, it was actually later than that. I finally, I was working on the strip and sending it out, took a long break from it. But then it was, it was later that I thought, oh, I'm going to try to put it on some site. And at the time, I don't know if they do it now, but Go Comics, which is Universal Press Syndicate, they syndicated Calvin and Hobbes and mm -hmm. A bunch of, Doonesbury was their very first strip. They started the syndicate for that strip. 
they had a site called Comic Sherpa. And for really small fee, you could um, post your, anybody could post a strip. And so there are a lot of amateur cartoonists, some people who are professionals just wanting to get syndicated, could post it on there. And after a short time, uh, they bumped me up to actually go comics where I was part of the, the syndicated roster of, of strips, only, only web-based though. Mine, some of those are newspaper, but, and web, but, but there's a lot of strips on go comics that are only on the web. And, and what's great about that, I felt that felt like I'm kind of syndicate. I mean, I am syndicate, I am syndicated, not in the newspaper, but I've got a real syndicate that, you know, also distributes it to other newspaper sites. Like for a while, it was part of the daily news and different what are the uh, are they digital publications or actual newspaper newspaper hard no, copies? No, they're not. They're, so they buy a package from Go Comics from Universal Press. For instance, if it's the New York Daily News, and just their website will have 50, 25, 50 strips or whatever, and uh, mine is part of that package for various various uh, newspapers. Nice. But not in the print edition, only only the web. So it's a way sure. for them to have comic strips. So let's say you go to your favorite newspaper website, you don't read the paper anymore. They'll have a comic section. Mm-hmm. And you can read Garfield, Peanuts, whatever, and and obscure ones, and some you know something like mine that's obscure as well. So um, so it's it is it, it that's where it started to get where people know about it a little bit. And, and, and on the animation side, you switched from uh, your, like your day job, you were doing animation, but you've moved right. into storyboarding, which is seems like a very natural uh, evolution of you as an animation artist to go into storyboarding because you're, you've been doing these comic strips uh, at night and on, on weekends. Yes. Yeah. And I missed drawing and that's why I wanted to go into story. I actually got hired the first storyboarding. I mean, I did some st- storyboarding throughout my career for different things and some of the Garfield specials and the thing I directed, but never, I never considered myself a board artist, you know, Mm. it was something I, I dabbled in here and there just from working at different studios. But I, I went to um, Pixar because I had friends up there that had animated traditional, they were traditional animators, but they liked to draw still. Mm -hmm. And they encouraged me to submit my stuff up there uh, because, you know, you still get to draw. And I thought, well, that, you know, things are slowly kind of going towards computers. That could be a way to, to continue to draw. So I submitted my stuff. This So I went up there in 1999, and the first film I worked on was Monsters Incorporated. Mm. I got to board on that. And Joe Ramft was fantastic because I had never really boarded. So they paired me with him for the first month or so. Can't get any. You couldn't get any better than that. I mean, Joe Raft was a once in a generation story artist, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and such a nice guy. I mean, everybody who ever knew him. You know, I've never heard a bad thing about the guy. He was just wonderful. Amazing, amazing talent. And and by the way, I just want to interject here. Uh, our friend, Al John, uh, John Canemaker, who was a guest on our show a few months yeah. ago, uh, John Canemaker wrote a fantastic book called The Two Joes. I've seen it, uh, yeah. About Joe Grant and uh, Joe Ramft. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and it's really a must read for anybody uh, who's interested in animation and, and understanding some of the artists behind it. Joe Grant was, uh, you know, the, the guy behind, I mean, he, he was an incredible story guy, but, you know, uh, he goes back to the Dumbo and, you know, the 1940s or 1950s of, of Walt Disney Studios. And then you've got Joe Grant, uh, excuse me, Joe Ranft, who is uh, of our generation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, the, the eighties, nineties, uh, two thousands. Yes. Yeah. And Joe, I knew him a little bit. I'd met him a few times, uh, here and there, maybe with, it might've been probably with Daryl Van Sitters because I mm-hmm. think he came by and had lunch a couple of times. So he knew who I was a little bit. I knew him and he knew my student films. He was just so encouraging. And I remember the first boards I did, we took a sequence together and he gave me a little section and, and he boarded the other part. And I remember showing him my first boards. I showed him to pitch them. I pinned them up. You know, we, they were actual drawings back then. <laughs> and he just looked at it. He paused for a minute. He goes, I can tell you're an animator. And I'm thinking, I, I, what, maybe this is a compliment. I don't know. <laughs> and he said, you like close-ups. You like to draw the character. <laughs> <laughs> and he was right. I looked at it from a distance and I saw... I don't have any establishing shots or if I do, there's barely any because I was used to drawing the character and not really thinking about the background. Yeah. And, and can, can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, yeah. uh, uh, you could be a great animator and then, you know, completely fall on your face as a board artist because board artists have really special skills. Uh, yeah. You, you have to not only be able to draw the characters, but you, you have to do composition. You have to, you're, yeah. you have to know cinematography and cutting and yes. just talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And I was not one of the people that looked at that as much as I, you know, I, I, I did love like Spielberg films. I loved Raiders of the Lost Ark and I did do my own Super 8 films. And I think looking back on them, you know, uh, they, they had some pretty good shots, but for some reason, when you start to draw, it's almost like I, it took me a long time to even understand it. I, I don't know. I just really, just took me a while to get comfortable and feel like I knew what I was doing. Um, that, you know, to think of the, the cutting and having to really watch a film and think about, you know, I know there's people that they just naturally uh, had an affinity for that. And they were already watching films that way who went into storyboarding, but I was always looking at the acting or the, the, um, the entertainment and the business of what the animation was doing or even live action you know, the acting and, and that sort of thing. I wasn't thinking of the shots as much. Uh, so that was a, that was a new thing for me, but slowly you start to understand it. And, and a person like Joe is a great teacher and just, it's like everything. You just keep doing it and doing it. And sure. And and, and I I have no doubt that Joe Ramft was uh, really encouraging and uh, really just gave, he he was the kind of guy I think that would be able to guide an artist gently. Uh, yes. Just, just a, a gentle guiding hand, uh, uh, without being intimidating, uh, uh, but rather being really helpful uh, with uh, pointing out uh, how to improve and what you need to do. Absolutely. I mean, a perfect example is the story I told you, where he said, "You like to draw the 
character. You <laughs> like close up. It didn't feel like a mean, like someone else could have said that like, Oh, well, you got too many close ups. What are you doing here? You know? And you'd feel terrible. Like, but by saying it the way he did, it made sense. I saw it immediately. I, it, it didn't feel like he was mad at me or, you know, I didn't sound something stupid or, you know, he acknowledged, well, you're an animator. This is what you, what you're seeing. And I think that was a great approach for me. It helped me learn uh, better than if someone had been, you know, maybe hard on me. And I couldn't have asked for a better director to work with too, for the first time in story. Um, Pete Doctor is just a, a great guy. And he, yeah. he liked my stuff and knew my stuff before that. And, uh, you know, it was just, just easy. He's easy guy to talk to. You're not afraid you're intimidated by him, but yet he's super talented. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's a, he's a grounded individual and just, yeah. uh, uh, just a real nice guy and, yeah. and knows his stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, boy, his student films, I don't know if you ever saw his stuff. He pencil test stuff he did for Cal art. No, there's such a charm to it. They're 2d. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's kind of like the stuff he's making now is still, you see Pete in that, you know, his personality and who he is. And, well, I mean, just look at Saul. Yeah. Yeah. The latest one, which by the way, Al John, I did watch. Did you like it? Of course. That's I did. A, that's a, I, did. Yeah, I, I, mean, I, I thoroughly it. enjoyed it. Everybody, yeah. everybody texts me and says, man, this, this movie is, you, you've got to watch it. And of course, all my musician friends are like, it made me cry. And of course, I don't think you have to be a musician for this, the movie to move you. No, it's got a big heart to it. The yeah. film does. Right. But uh, so, so are you doing primarily, uh, Bob, are you primarily doing uh, storyboarding now? I am. Yeah. Nice. I just finished on a film, actually Mark Dindle's directing. Oh, okay. Garfield, all animated Garfield, not, not the like hybrid ones, but uh, so my career's kind of come full circle, which is fun doing Garfield again, but it, it's very cartoony. It looks, you know, how you, you've seen him before. So, so that the, so Nickelodeon's doing a car, a, a Garfield feature. It's actually uh, Alcon is doing oh, okay. Alcon uh, bought the rights to do animation before the rights were sold. Oh, Nickelodeon. Okay. So they're, they're doing it right now. Mark's directing it. And I love working with Mark. I worked with my Catstone dance and mm-hmm. I mean, we love the same kind of animation and cartoony type stuff. And so that, that's been really just a blast to work on. I mean, that's just awesome. really fun to, to draw the characters and again, and, 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 you know, Mark's fun. It's fun coming with gags and story ideas. And he's very much into the fun cartoony, like I said, type of animation. I mean, look at Emperor's New Groove, you know, that's, yep. that's Mark's humor. And of course I love that stuff. Yeah. Same. Same. Is <laughs> this a, which is amazing coming from a guy who's a, was an effects artist. Is this a, um, is this a full feature, Bob? Is this a 90, yeah, 90 be a full, it's a full, a full animated feature um, story. We pretty much finished with story and yeah, they're still going, going forward. Yeah, awesome. and, stuff. and is that going to be a thing, a theatrical release? I think that's the hope, you know, yeah. everything today. Well, I mean, say. but yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it's. Pandemic that's aside. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's, the, that's the hope. And Alcon's done live action. That's their big thing. They did the Blade Runner movie and the blind side, the new Blade Runner. So this is their first foray. Is this new um, Garfield movie, is it, is it CG, the finished product? Is it a CG animated uh, character or yeah. is it all hand drawn? Yeah. No, it's CG. It's all yeah. CG. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's and other cool. than that, I don't know if I should 
say much more. I'm not sure what. Okay, yeah, we don't want you to get in. We don't want you to get in the trouble. I think everything I've said has been out there and announced. Okay, excellent, <laughs> cool, cool. <laughs> so now, you know, getting back to your comic strip, yeah. uh, you've been doing it for a number of years, and you've got your first book coming out, which is a compilation of comic strips. Actually, it's uh, the second book. Oh, it is the second one. Okay, is, my, yeah. my, my bad. All right. Oh, that's okay. Uh, the first one was uh, 2016. Okay. This is uh, this will be the second one. I've got enough had enough strips for for another one. That's uh, awesome. And this so, is with the same publisher. No, this is actually a new publisher. New I was publisher. with um, Cameron and Company, which is a small publisher up in Northern California, uh-huh. and um, they're distributed by Abrams now. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But we didn't have a deal to do another book, and uh, they're not as much. They're a great publisher, but they, they're not, they don't publish very many cartoon books or comic strip books and that sure. sort of thing. So on a whim, I, I contacted Hermes Press, which I love their books. And they do reprints of old comic strips. Uh-huh. They do um, the Phantom books. They do okay. really nice archival books. They even have an Art of Garfield book where the strips are printed very big, the original strips and mm. the blue line and everything. And they also do these Pogo comic strip books. A comic, uh, comic book, not the strips, but the reprints of the old Dell comics. Sure, sure. So I sent them an email. I, I sent to a bunch of different publishers, and uh, Sabrina Herman is the uh, person I sent to there. And she she said, sure, send me your book. Uh, I'll take a look at it. And then usually, every, I'm so used to everything just getting rejected or an email like, no, we're not interested, We whatever. Uh, she emailed me right away and said, I'd like to talk. We, I want to set up a meeting with you and Dan Herman, who's the publisher about publishing another book. So it went pretty quickly. The book would have been out earlier, would have been out last year, but with COVID, everything kind of got pushed back, but they moved pretty fast on it. And, uh, they were, they were really happy to do it. So I, I feel fortunate that you know, got another book and the fact that it's being put out there by a publisher that knows that space and they're fans of comics. Yeah. And I mean, Dan is a huge fan of, of, of old Hanna-Barbera comic strips, like the ones that were done by, um, I forget the artist, but there was a whole Flintstones comic strip in the sixties and a Yogi Bear one. They're beautifully drawn. Yeah. yeah. And he loves all that kind of stuff. So yeah, he he was very encouraging and wanted to do it. So yeah, we're finally it'll be out next month. Um, I'm not sure exactly. I kind of think it might get pushed back a little bit because it actually hasn't gone to the printer yet. So I'm, getting, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's could be a little bit later. But yeah, so and um, uh, so so this book will come out next month. Uh, do you have plans on doing another one? I noticed, by the way, in in this version because Al John and I have had a chance to read this and and go through the comic strips and whatnot. Yeah. Um, I noticed there's little use of color. There's some color in there, but um, uh, not a lot. And I'm just wondering, uh, is that by choice uh, on your part? Or I, I know with, with regular comic strips, you, you know, like Monday through Saturday, it's usually black and white. And then the Sunday comics were always in color. Uh, right. But, right. but now with digital, everything could be in color if you want it to be. Yeah. All the daily strips now are actually in color. If you mm-hmm. go to, if you get a newspaper, um, they even color the old strips like peanuts. The dailies are, are in color now. 
I don't have time to do it in color. So I only do it occasionally. And the spot color that you're talking about, I got that idea actually from Burke Brethen, who I saw, you know, I brought Bloom County back. And his daily strips were in black and white, but every once in a while he, for a gag, you know, that he needed some color, he'd, he'd do a little bit of just a little spot color for something. And, and, which, which, by the way, I love. I, I you know, I noticed that there was one strip where, uh, you know, uh, Bear, uh, his face goes red. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and, yeah. It, and it really helped to, to, you know, punch the, the point that you were getting through in that panel. And uh-huh. then there was the little girl with the pink hair. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, and she's kind of the artsy fartsy kind of friend of, of, uh, uh, of Molly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I liked the way Burke Bretha did that. And I thought, well, that's kind of neat. I'll, I'll do that once in a while. So I, I started doing that. And fortunately this book, the last book, had color front and back matter, but the middle was all black and white. There couldn't be any color, but they're able to do color in this book. So if I had had colored it, the entire yeah. book, they could have done it. So it's nice that the the ones with the spot color and the occasional daily that I'll do in color will be in color. Uh, I, uh, in- you know, uh, the one thing I, I really liked was towards the end of the book, um, you have uh, the process laid out. Yep. Uh, you have your sketch pay, page of, uh, of a comic strip idea. Uh, mm-hmm. And then you've got the, the rough, uh, uh, you know, pencil, the, the, the colored pencil drawing rough of it. Uh, and you step through the various uh, uh parts of the process in, in getting a finished strip. Uh, I thought that was really a nice touch to oh, have cool. in the book and, oh, and certainly inspiring to up and coming comic artists. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, I remember the, the Charles Schultz book I told you about and they, he showed the process in there. It was photos of him at his desk and close mm-hmm. up of his hand. And I loved that as a kid, he even talked about what exact pen he used to, to ink with and everything that was helpful and inspiring. So, I mean, a lot of people ask me how I work and uh, most people work digitally now with their strips. There's still some that, that like Garfield used to be done on paper and ink. Now it's gone all digital and a lot of strips have. uh, So everybody's using like a Cintiq tablet or something. Uh, Yeah. And I just, and I use a Cintiq, which is fantastic for, I'd use it for storyboarding. It's actually helped me with storyboarding because you can, fix your shot, you know, and, mm-hmm. you know, shrink something or, or make it bigger to kind of get mm-hmm. your composition better. So I, I really like that. You can cut, oh, you can cut and paste with it too. I mean, you can, yeah. you know, if you're doing four panels to, to depict the scene, you can cut and paste your background. So that stays the same and then make the changes to the characters. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And because I've always done a strip this way, I just never stopped doing that, doing it that way. And I never thought it was, that different or odd, but technology changed and the way people do strips changed. So I, 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 people are always interested in how, how that's done. So, um, yeah, so that's why that that's there in the book. And it was great that Hermes wanted to do that kind of stuff. They were, they gave me free reign pretty much and have been very supportive. And, uh, in fact, Jim Davis does the forward, which is really nice of him. Yeah. yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really terrific. Uh, it was yeah. a very nice forward as well. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really nice. It was nice to reconnect with him a little bit on the working on the Garfield movie. Um, 
And the the book title is it's a it's a rough day. It's been a rough day. Yeah, it, it's been a rough day. Is yeah. the, is the full title by from Hermes Press? Yes. And, exactly. and I'm just curious, um, uh, where can people purchase the book? Because they, you guys, uh, the publishers accepting pre orders. Is that right? They are. Yeah. And actually it's, it's everywhere. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Their distribution is everywhere. Um, I've seen it on various sites like, um, you know, comic book shops in New York and those, t- you know, it's everywhere. So I think there's even yeah, a link. I, I you think, can get it from the, from Hermes press too. You yeah, can order there. Yeah. You can even get, I think you have a link on your go comics.com bear with me, um, straight, yeah. you know, so it's great. And I also wanted to give a shout out to your website, Molly because you can also uh, click the link and buy it there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, everywhere, which is, which is great. Their distribution is, is huge. So, um, that's fantastic. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very uh, much. And, that, and that's coming out in at the end of January or beginning of February. Uh, it's supposed to be February. I think end of February, end of February. So, yeah. uh, but it's available for pre-order now. Uh, yep. yes. and that's, uh, it's, it's been a rough day starring yep. bear and Molly comic strips, uh, by, is it Bob Scott? Is that your, is that your art name or is it Robert Scott? It's Bob. Yeah. I've always it's gone Bob. by Bob. All my credits, film credits, and uh, yeah, my birth name is Robert, but nickname has been Bob. My dad was Robert, he's Bob, and so that <laughs> I was Bobby right. when I was a kid. There you go. All right. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's a it's a great it's a great book because not only does it give it really cool insight to you and the creative process, as Dave mentioned, the strips are great. They're a lot of fun. I love the character study in the back, and the one thing I uh, the other thing that's a standout for me is the vintage look on the very back. You've got the, how the strips look from, from back in the day uh, with all the, right, the vintage right. ads and everything and the cool yeah. uh, patina for all, you know, all the, um, the, the aged paper, <laughs> you know, that oh. we, it's just great. And uh, it, one it thing I will, terrific. yeah, the three dimension, look, we have to put on the 3d glasses. Cause you know, Dave, you're, you're, you're amazing in hey. the 3d realm. So the 3d glasses thing, I have to break out the 3d uh, glasses to, for that it, third you know, it actually works too. And I, I just did it just for fun, not thinking it would work. And I had some old 3d glasses and I thought I put them on to see if it worked. It's like, Oh, it actually works. Yeah. I <laughs> so, love it. It absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, you know, one, one thing I did want to mention, Bob, is I really love the, the ink line on your uh, comic strip, uh, bear, bear and me. Or bear okay. with me, excuse me. And uh, and I, I love the fact that there's a sort of a thick, thin line, mm-hmm. uh, which really to me, when it's when it's used appropriately, it, uh-huh. it makes the drawing sing uh, it, it visually to me. It just it, it just takes the drawings over the top. And I really enjoyed looking at your comic strips because of that, because mm-hmm. of, because there, there's uh, the use of that thick and thin ink line that, that just really adds dimension to the drawings. Oh, wow. Thank you very much. It's very kind of you to say, <laughs> uh, I love inking. It's really, uh, I started inking with a brush. It's, I use a Winsor Newton back in college. I actually had a strip, that I did on the side 
two of them printed in the New Newhall Signal. Do you remember the New Yeah, Hall yeah, Signal? absolutely. <laughs> by, by the way, the signal is still alive and well. It's hanging on by a thread, I think, but it's still, uh, it, it still gets published up here. Oh, that's great. Yeah, they yeah. Uh, published my strip. It was called Myron. It was based on one of my student films and uh, twice a week. And I originally did it like Schultz with a dip pen. Mm -hmm. uh, I used a C5. I actually got it wrong. He said that he did his strip with a certain kind of dip pen and he letters it with a C5. I got it wrong in my head and thought C5 was what he inked with. So I was actually learned how to ink with that pen, which was his lettering pen. And then I really liked uh, Pogo and I loved Shoe. And they, they, I read they were inked with a brush. So I started in college trying to ink with a brush and I've just, I've never gone back. I've, anytime I work on a strip, it's been a brush. That's awesome. Glad yeah, you mentioned I actually you. wouldn't know how to ink that way in the computer. I've never learned how to ink in the computer. Just to, do to, to, Yeah, brush. to do a thick and thin line. Yeah. yeah, there's people who can do it beautifully, but yeah. I'm used to it this way. So I just, I keep doing it. It's sure. a little bit of extra work because you have to scan it, get rid of the blue line. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing is I can tweak things when I get it in there. Because there's always little surprises. I draw pretty large. Mm -hmm. When you see it smaller, it's like, oh, I drew that head just a little too small. I can just lasso it and blow it up. Little little tweaks if I need to. And I hand yeah. letter it too. I was going to say, uh, shout out to the lettering. Because <laughs> I love <laughs> it. You. I absolutely love it. Uh, I was just looking. I was admiring the work about the Mickey Mouse operation that uh, Costco, uh, the, the, the Costco thing. It's like, what kind of Mickey Mouse operation are they running here? I've always wanted to say that at Disneyland. Oh, thank like, you. It's really, yeah, it's it's really cool. I don't, yeah, I'm not sure if everyone knows it, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great the, script. I, but, I, I, I yeah. read that comic strip as well, Al John, and I got a good laugh at I, it. So did know? I. Because I actually, <laughs> actually, actually did that very same thing at Disneyland. It's like, what kind of Mickey Mouse operation is right? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I don't know if uh, we want to get into this, Dave, but we have a listener who has a question. Absolutely. Let, uh, let, let's get, let's have the question. Skull Rock Podcast. Answers your email. All right. So top fan, Spencer writes, uh, Spencer writes, uh, can you please talk about what inspired your friend, the rat did the work of Ward Kimball heavily influence this shot, this short. Oh yes. So that, yeah. That's to you, Bob. Love it. That's to you. Yes. Uh, Jim Capobianco who directed that short loves Ward Kimball loves that, that, that style. And I do as well. And everyone who got to work on it, loved that stuff too. And that was absolutely what Jim was, was doing was like trying to do a Ward Kimball, you know, 2D stylized, like those old um, things that he did for the wonderful world of Disney. So, yeah, and uh, that was a lot of fun to work on. That's my favorite kind of animation to work on. Anything like in that realm, cartoony. So uh, that wh whistle toot, plunk and boom kind of uh, period. Yeah, know, exactly. Sort of going into that UPA style of, uh, uh, of the 50s. Yeah, and Jim really wanted to do different styles for each little segment. Mm -hmm. So there's even a little stop motion segment, and there's you know cut paper looking stuff, and some of it's After Effects and hand drawn. Uh, you That's know, awesome. Yeah, so that, that yeah, 
dead on. That's exactly what, what we, we were going for. <laughs> that's uh, my wife, uh, Kristen. Yeah. That's one of her favorite characters. Actually, it's her favorite character is uh, Remy and Emil. And, oh, wow. uh, you know, yeah. so she's she's super stoked. She's like, oh, I can't wait. You know, this is this is really cool. Uh, the other thing I'd like to mention, too, is you mentioned Preston Blair earlier in, in the show. And I know mm-hmm. that um, there is a lot of the MGM work that he did. Um, how influential was uh, maybe some of the stuff he did with the like the bear in the bean or the bear in the hair, those kind of things and influenced uh, your strip? Because it seems like it, it seems very, very cool that you. it's almost like an homage yeah, not not necessarily consciously, but definitely there because uh, any bear character, I just I I don't know why, but I just love the the designs of those Disney bears like Humphrey the Bear and um, Yogi Bear, of course Hanna Barbera. And there's something about a bear that's like a giant stuffed animal that's appealing. You know, imagining having a bear as a friend. I think I loved Jungle Book as a kid too for that. It's like, wow, what if this was your best friend? This guy's so amazing and cool and um, so yeah, the, that, that stuff definitely influenced me. Uh, we have a question from Jeff and he asks, so how did you get into doing, uh, your voices or being part of, uh, additional voice casting for these Pixar films? Well, that's a really cool thing that, um, at Pixar at the time, and I think they're still doing it probably, uh, usually the scratch is done by story artists or animators that they think are able to do that sort of thing. And so I got called in to do some scratch when I was on monsters, not thinking it would even be used, but they actually ended up using the scratch. They kept it, kept it in there um, for a couple voices. They did just quick lines, but that, so that just kind of happened. You know, I did a lot of acting as a kid and was in plays and that sort of thing. So uh, that was, that was fun. They, yeah. <laughs> and is that something you're pursuing at all? Or is it just one of those, you, you kind of do it here and there when, when the opportunities present themselves? Yeah. Just if the opportunity yeah. presents itself, usually I get to do scratch on pretty much everything I, I work on at some point, like even Garfield, I've done a little scratch and I don't think anything will be, will be used in that, but, but it's always fun to do. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's fun to have that as a, creative outlet. And what I like about it too, is like, I, I prefer not to be on camera, you know, (laughs) doing a voice. So that's, what's great. You can act, but you don't have, you don't have to be, you're not self-conscious that somebody's actually going to be going this. uh, Yeah. They'll never see it. We have a being on camera is very self. I'm very self-conscious, but. Oh um, man, no, don't be, don't be. You're a lot of fun. Uh, we have a last question here. We've got one from Deanna and she's asking which one of the Pixar film characters is your favorite. If you had to choose one. Favorite. Uh, does she mean that I've favorite worked that on? You worked on? Favorite that you worked on. Yes. That I worked on. Yes. Oh boy. Um, off the top of my head. I might say Jack, Jack, that one just pops to mind. Cause I, I really, that was a fun character to animate and I love the design of the character and babies are just fun to, to, you know, they're just always funny and cute. And uh, I remember some of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons when they had a baby character, there was one in Yogi bear. Yes. They're just, the design is always fun. And 
So yeah, I'd, I'd say Jack Jack. That would be the one that off it. the top of my head that I like. <laughs> that's uh, that's our little boy's nickname because he kind of looks like Jack Jack. So there you go. Oh, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, yeah, thank you. That's I, great. I got to board a lot with that character and then animate on that. I did both. I computer animated as well Absolutely. on that. That was fun. <laughs> Wonderful work. It's great. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> Bob Scott, uh, what a career. I mean, you know, uh, animator at Disney, at Pixar, storyboard artist, and the comic strip, Bear With Me. Uh, and you can catch a whole bunch of those comic strips in uh, It's Been a Rough Day from Hermes Press. Uh, and, uh, that's available on, uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, I'm sure books a million, uh, anywhere you purchase your books. And as I always like to say, Al John, if you have a local independent bookstore in your community, they can get those books for you. They can order Bob Scott's. It's been a rough day. Um, and when it comes in, you can do a curbside pickup. There you go. More than likely. Uh, yeah, until this been, pandemic is over. There you go. I and, know, gosh. Bob, thanks for being with us. We really appreciate you coming on the show. It was really a fun hour of chatting with you. Oh, I had a great time. I, I it's really fun. Just it'd be fun just even just you know talk off <laughs> off, <laughs> off the podcast and just keep talking. But yeah, just I being know, with human absolutely. beings. <laughs> yeah, just interacting uh, with wish, humans. I, I absolutely. We wish you the best of luck uh, with the release of your second uh, "Bear with Me" book. Yeah. Uh, which is a compilation of your comic strips. Uh, it's coming out in February again from Hermes hyphen uh, press Hermes dash press.com. You can pre-order the book there or wherever you purchase your books. Thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. It was really nice. Skull rock podcast, your weekly dose of pixie dust. I love that interview. What a great guy Bob is. He really is. And, and you know, the comic strip itself is really quite funny. I mean, I really enjoyed uh, reading. Uh, you know, we, we had the advanced uh, uh, PDF uh, of his book that's coming out in February. So it was, it was really fun going through that book and reading the comic strip. Uh, and, and I, and, you know, as I said in the interview, I love his drawing style. Man, it's great. I love the way he inks that comic strip. You know, you say things, Dave, that that in 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 your world, in your realm of animation, and 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 how you studied um, makes great sense because I I yeah, the lettering I I I made mention of it or the the type of inking that he does I think it's wonderful I absolutely love it because those are things I haven't thought about uh, in quite some time and as I mentioned in our pre-interview I was a big fan of Bloom County big fan of Opus that character and. Um, would go down to Walden books and, and oftentimes buy up these compendiums, you know, my favorite comics and my favorite comic strips. And so the Garfields and then the, the Opuses and the Bloom County and, and all that stuff, uh, Calvin and Hobbes were some of my favorites. And uh, I just love that style because it harkens back to that style that we love, you know, the Nancy cartoon strips and, and the different things uh, that we've grown up with over the years. So uh Wonderful. Absolutely. Anyway, I, I, I'm looking forward to the final book coming out, yeah. uh, which again is uh, titled It's Been a Rough Day, featuring Bear With Me comic strips uh, by Bob Scott. And uh, 
Aljon, you're going to get the links up on uh, for for uh, uh, Hermes Press dot yep. uh, com and all of that. Yep, we'll uh, have the links. People totally. can get that book because it's really a terrific book. I, I it's one of those things where it just brightens your day reading a comic strip. I think you know uh, it, those kinds of books are wonderful because you can you can pick it up and you could read a comic strip or two, uh, have a little bit of a laugh, put the book aside, and do the same every day. Give yourself a little laugh each day, especially now. I mean, with the craziness of this pandemic, we can all deserve, uh, we all deserve to have uh, a little bit of a laugh here and there when we can get it. Absolutely. So we'll have those links in there for everyone to check out. And don't forget, gang, I know if you're just finding us for the very first time in this new year, if you're looking for something to listen to, thank you for subscribing i hope you subscribe and tell your friends and uh, we would appreciate if you give us a like you throw up a review on itunes or spotify or anchor whatever wherever you find our podcast uh, we would appreciate it don't forget to follow us on facebook twitter and instagram or linkedin on the case of dave and myself and uh, you can also email us as well aljon a-l-j-o-n at skullrockpodcast.com or dave at skullrockpodcast.com and dave we have such a great year. I know that you're working on a bunch of stuff behind the scenes in terms of your friends getting on the show, but uh, what kind of final words do you have for us this week? Well, you know something I, I did want to mention as the new year starts, and this is our first show of, of 2021, but it's hard to believe Disneyland has been closed for more than two Hundred days. Oh my gosh! Can you imagine that? Two, more than two hundred days, and we don't know when they're going to reopen. I mean, I hope they open by March or April or May. I mean, hopefully, there's going to be a summer at Disneyland. I hope, I hope so. so. I hope so. You know, and we're nearing the anniversary there at Walt Disney World as well for next year. Yeah, the so, 50th anniversary yeah, of so, Walt Disney World. Yeah, I'm but, hoping, yeah. Hey, listen, in the interim, and I'm going to give a shameless plug to my book, 3D Disneyland, yes. like you've never seen it before. If, you, uh, if you're just really missing the park, uh, grab a copy. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books a Million. I know Vraman's Bookstore in Pasadena here in Los Angeles is carrying the book. Uh, and of course, your uh, local bookstore, if you can support your local bookstore, they can order these books in if they don't have them in stock. It'll take a couple days, but they'll have it. You can do a drive-by pickup, uh, curbside pickup. You can get uh, not only my books there, but you can get Bob Scott. It's been a rough day. Yes. Uh, so check it out if you can. And that's all I got, Al John. Oh, that's uh, great. Until next week. Yeah, absolutely. And just a quick plug, too. If you're just finding us for the first time, don't forget to check out uh, my other podcast, The Disney List. You can also check out the Dining Disney Podcast and all of our friends at Sorcerer Radio who happily promote Dave and my podcast as well at srsounds.com. First fan run and the only fan run Disney station uh, that's out there that has been around since 20 or gosh, 2000, 2001. So uh, we've been around for a long time. So we appreciate the support and uh, of you guys promoting Skull Rock Podcast. So uh, thank you so much, everyone. Until next time, please take care and uh, we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Boom. Now, can we do a, a little 20-second uh, um, thing? Just you and I banter yep. a little bit. It's for the sweet spot. They're celebrating their 300th podcast. Um, 
And, um, you know, Lynn reached out to me um, and and I want us to do it, the two of us. And then if you can send it to me as an MP3 file. I'm Al John Goh, co-host of the Disney List podcast as heard on Sorcerer Radio, as well as Skull Rock podcast here with my wife, Kristen. Hello. Hello. You are an earmarked agent who books Disney travel vacations for people all the time. Give our listeners a reason why they want to give you a call instead of just booking a trip by themselves. Well, I can do all of the legwork for them. I have expertise. I've been to the Disney parks well over a hundred times. So they've got that knowledge at their hand as well as it saves them time and money. Where can people get in touch with you so that they can book their next Disney cruise, Disney park trip, Adventures by Disney? They can contact me at themeparksandcruises at gmail.com. I'm Kristen Hetzel, vacation planner, world traveler, Disney foodie, and theme park fan. I'm Al John Go. I'm the husband who's also Disney, Star Wars, and Marvel Comics fan. And together, we host a Disney List podcast. Every week, you'll hear us list our favorite things about Disney theme parks, films, shows, travel, Marvel, and Star Wars in a top 10 list, rankings, and more. That's an impressive list. Subscribe to the Disney List Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or your favorite podcast platform. You can even stream us on Sorcerer Radio at srsounds.com and check out our live shows on Facebook, the Disney List Podcast. Visit thedisneylist.com.